the thrust of our effort is activating the parts of people's brains that do empathy really well. That's what y'all are doing on multi-amory. That's what the folks at Normalizing Non-Monogamy are doing. That's what Dan Savage is doing. That's what we're doing at the Nobo Network. You know, there's just like, like we are trying to get people to hear our stories, to, to witness our lives, and to potentially like see a bit of themselves in those stories, right? That is why this work cannot simply be political. That's why it, it, it has to be cultural. That's why it has to be grounded in people coming out and telling their stories. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we are talking to William Winters, who is on the board of directors for OPEN, which stands for Organization for Polyamory and Ethical Non-Monogamy. He's a seasoned digital campaign strategist for progressive organizations and causes. William's also a leader in the Bay Area polyamorous and sex-positive communities. He's the founder of Bonobo Network, a sex-positive, consent-focused, power-aware community. And he's also the founder of Express Yourself, a quarterly gathering uniting people of color in celebrations of the erotic. He's been featured in the New York Times and the San Francisco Chronicle. And now the the pinnacle of his career, the Multi-Amory <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> William, thank you so much for joining us today. It is indeed an honor. <laughs> so you're here you do a lot of different things, as people can tell from your intro, but you're here on the show today representing the nonprofit Open. So I don't think a lot of our listeners have heard of Open yet. So can you just tell us about the organization? Yeah, so Open is the organization for polyamory and ethical non-monogamy. And we're dedicated to normalizing and empowering non-monogamous individuals and communities. We're, we're basically trying to create a movement of the ethically non-monogamous so that we can fight for our very real interests. You know, it's not just about dating. It's also about raising families and uh, it's about having access to housing and healthcare and um, other areas where, you know, folks who are ethically non-monogamous are subject to discrimination. And so, you know, we're, we're working to create a world where we're protected from, uh, discrimination, uh, and where we're improving perceptions, uh, in some cases creating perceptions, uh, of what ethically non-monogamous people look like and, and how we, how we live. Yeah, and this is something we've talked about a little on past episodes about kind of the the legal status of non-monogamy and how unlike, and this surprises some people, but unlike 
being queer or, you know, your, your race or your religion, which are all protected under various, you know, employment discrimination acts that being polyamorous or otherwise ethically non-monogamous is not protected. It's not a protected status. And so theoretically you could say, for example, lose your job or have a child taken away or something like that. So those are kind of the things that you're focusing on in terms of those protections or are there others I'm, I'm missing or what, what do you know? You probably know more than I do about that. Yeah. I mean, so a couple of things, first off, um, uh, you know, very often folks who are queer can be discriminated against in all kinds of ways. And, um, um, you know, the, the fight for full employment protection and legal protection is, is ongoing. Um, um, but in the realm of ethical non-monogamy, I mean, we see the same like sort of realms of discrimination happening. You know, there's the sort of de jure, um, like legal, uh, discrimination that happens, uh, where people are sometimes denied access to housing. If you have multiple partners, you know, or, um, you know, people, um, in some cases, uh, are disadvantaged in, um, child custody proceedings. Um, people, uh, in some cases lose access to, uh, job opportunities. Um, um, and, and so, you know, lots of folks who are non-monogamous are kind of forced into, um, uh, a closet of sorts because like, we just don't know when someone will feel threatened or offended by the ways that we love and, and the kinds of connections that we make and the ways that we live our lives. And so, um, uh, that can have real impacts on our material well-being. Um, but then there's also, um, the kind of social disapprobation or disapproval that, uh, comes right along with misperceptions and, um, preconceived notions about people who practice non-monogamy. Um, and so there's this entire other raft of impacts that can sometimes happen where, you know, suddenly, you know, someone finds out like, like the, someone at, at school finds out that, you know, uh, you practice non-monogamy and suddenly your kids lose playdates and, you know, right. uh, find themselves being like teased and, and ostracized and perhaps you as a parent find yourself, uh, ostracized from your previous social circles and support networks with other parents. Right. Um, so there's this like level of social disapprobation as well. Um, and, and our work in open is trying to address all of it. We're trying to build real political power so that we can um, fight and uh, eliminate and create protections against the kinds of legal discrimination that can sometimes happen. And then we are also trying to um, change how the world perceives ethical non-monogamy by advancing cultural acceptance and representation. And we're in the very early stages of that work. Um, we stand on the shoulders of giants and are 
you know, aiming to build relationships with the, the many folks who have come before us. But, you know, we do think that now is uh, the time for us to, like, take polyamory and ethical non-monogamy, like, really seriously as a political identity. Hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of, like, as you said, there's a lot of different moving pieces to this when we're thinking about, like, actually trying to gain momentum and push the ball forward, as it were. And I'm intrigued specifically by the perception piece that you talked about. I It brought up a memory for me several years ago. This is probably close to the beginning of this podcast, so probably like 2014, uh, maybe 2015 or so, that I remember on my social media posting about like there had been a recent relatively publicized case of someone losing child custody uh, because of the fact that they were in, I forget if it was in a non-monogamous relationship or some kind of like consensually kinky relationship or something like that. And I remember posting about the need for protections and how there's discrimination and being really surprised by people's perceptions that a lot of people, I would say my, my so-called maybe more, mainstream cishet friends commenting to say oh like really this is something that needs to be protected like like this is just people in their bedrooms like whatever people can do whatever like surely this isn't actually something we need to put our energy into and of course at the time being you know disappointed a little bit crestfallen to get that sort of response and i do think that that response is starting to change but i do think that like a lot of people still have that perception right of like why do we need to take this seriously? So I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how we change that, especially on um, on this kind of grander level. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think your friend's perceptions are uh, understandable. You know, I'm, oh, they're not I'm my probably... friends. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I think I'm probably just a, a little bit older than, than y'all are. Um, but you know, I, like, I, I remember that like, so I grew up in Louisiana and there were still laws criminalizing sodomy on the books that were, uh, you know, enforced in states across the nation, primarily in the South, um, into, uh, the early 2000s, I can't, I think it was maybe 2000 or 2001 when the Supreme Court decided, uh, to strike those laws down. So for many folks, um, you know, uh, who think of themselves as like political people, perhaps like, like your political understanding, like, like, uh, was born in a world where it seemed like these things were just kind of like in place, you know, like, of course, like, like why do we have to protect people from um, what's happening uh, in, in their bedrooms? Like, isn't that protected? And the answer is, is absolutely not. Um, uh, you know, people are uh, still able to be discriminated against for uh, like activity that you don't agree with, you know? So you can, you can choose not to hire someone because, you know, they're a member of the Proud Boys or because, um, you know, they're 
uh, kinky or because whatever. I mean, it's like generally speaking. And I think that the reality is that, you know, we don't tend to think about our, uh, like many people don't tend to think about our bedroom activities as part of our identity when the fact is uh, for many of us, like if you take away the ability to freely practice, um, you know, what is most intimate and satisfying and fulfilling about like our sexuality, our sexual pleasure, um, then like that's really dehumanizing. We that like what happens in our private lives are uh, or is vulnerable. Um, and we have a Supreme Court right now that is really bent on keeping it that way uh, with their focus on like religious liberty. Like they actually want to enshrine the ability to uh, discriminate against people for practices that, you know, like your religion or your particular interpretation of your religion finds immoral. I um, want to kind of continue along those lines a little bit and go back to something that you said earlier about sort of the granular level of how we're going to sort of makes make these things happen. And you talked about um, policy change and I think like even um, ha- electing people and politicians who kind of go along with the cause and also will potentially put protections in place. And I guess as someone who is feeling very uh, crestfallen and downtrodden at this particular political moment, like, how does one do that, I guess? What are the the things that we can do to um, get people in place in these higher power situations where we're able to pass legislation that is protective of rights and of, you know, polyamory and families and all of those things? Is that something that you all talk about and, and think about? You were asking it, it just is, for like absolutely. the tiniest so, shred of hope in this moment of darkness, William. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I think it is, I mean, mm-hmm. it encompasses right now so much. And it, yeah, I mean, my goodness, I think so many people are feeling so dejected right now. And this is an, an additional facet of that, you know. And, and another sh- another thing that feels as though it can be taken away or um, have us told that it's illegal or something, you know, who knows? So, yeah. 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 So one of our board members, um, uh, Brian DeBlanc, um, and, and Sheila, uh, one of Ryan's partners, um, uh, they say all the time that, uh, if members of the legislature don't know that we exist, <laughs> like as an interest group, then they're never going to work for us, you know, because there's like to them, there is no us. Right. And so, and so even like having an established political identity with an established political organization that is ready to do things like lobby days, um, mm-hmm. where organizing people to, you know, like do visits to your uh, state representatives and state senators offices in Sacramento or at the local 
legislative affairs office um, is super important to letting um, the folks who represent you know that you exist and that you have interests that you want protected, right? And so that's step one, like like that, or that is, that is one one step, I should say. Um, so we're working on a couple of different strategies for for this. I mean, one is um, you know we've we've uh, been working to develop uh, uh, an ethical non-monogamy day of visibility. Um, that project is uh, ongoing. We're hoping to launch it in a few months. Um, but you know, just like like bringing people into relationship with their own identity as like political agents, as political actors is super duper important for, for where we're at in this moment. It's, you know, it's like building the movement. It's like, let people know like, Hey, like, uh, like this polyamory thing you're doing is not just about dating. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that, that actually really clarifies it for me a lot because I think that, I don't know. I think if someone just told me point blank, like, oh, like you need to make this identity political in some way. Personally, I'd be like kind of resistant, you know, because me, I'm like, I don't I like I want to mail in my life. Like I realize that I live in this particular landscape and it's important that there's change. Um, but I think clarifying it in almost like these terms of kind of this is just how the game is played. Right. Like I find that very, very. Yeah, just clarifying is the word about this idea of like you need to just be visible. It's like that's almost like step one of of trying to get anything to move forward in this particular system. So I think that makes a lot of sense. It, it, it is step one. I mean, if we continue as um, ethically non-monogamous people, as sex positive people, as kinky people to hide in the shadows and to treat our um, very real interests as something that, um, uh, like, like, like being forced to hide is okay. <laughs> like if we behave in that way, then we're going to keep being forced to hide. Uh, so we, we have to start perceiving ourselves and our place in the world very differently. And when I look around the, uh, non-monogamous landscape in the Bay Area, uh, which probably has more ENM folks than most Almost places in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the three places where we're all from. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I what I see is um is like like an increasing number of people living their lives out loud because they don't have to rely on just like their friends like cishet normative mononormative um uh like parents for playdates like there are so many relationships and there's also like kind of a background cultural understanding of ethical non-monogamy in many parts of the bay area now thankfully um um but you know it basically means that like we're not as scary and we're not uh, as demonized. And I see families increasingly making decisions about their level of exposure, uh, as in like their, their level of like outness, um, mm -hmm. that like 
when I first landed in the Bay Area 14 years ago, parents were still like not making those decisions. And they were like having uh, so many more conversations uh, with their kids, just like in my personal circles about, you know, okay, so like, make sure you don't talk about daddy's other girlfriend and you know, that, that kind of thing. And of course that still happens to a certain extent, but it's just, uh, it is not the same. Yeah. I think we can all definitely comment on that as well. Just how how much we've seen it change drastically over the last 10 years or so. Yeah. Yeah. And so like that cultural work, uh, like, like the, the stance of open is that, you know, we can't just do the political work. Like we can't, like the work is not just going out and talking to legislators. Um, like it's also cultural. It's also about making sure that people understand that folks who practice ethical non-monogamy are like regular parents, <laughs> you know, uh, they are your neighbors. Um, they are, um, like on the PTA, they may be teachers themselves, right? Um, um, yeah, we're, 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 um, like that there are, there are lots of us and our lives look a lot of different ways, but very often they, they look like yours. Yeah. What right? you're describing and, kind of makes me, it, it reminds me of something we talk a lot about on this show is just kind of bringing a humanity to ethical non-monogamy or to polyamory or being open or kink or whatever, because so many people out there probably aren't exposed to this and having, as you said, this exposure, it'll make it, for lack of a better word, more normalized. And so people, as you said, won't be as afraid of it. And I love that. I think, yeah, that that seems like a great place to start because so many, I guess, more fringe quote unquote fringe communities, even queer communities or whatever, uh, at one point, you know, that was more demonized or, or scary for people. And now uh, it's it's normalized very much. And I think, yeah, bringing that bringing non-monogamy to the forefront in that way as well will normalize it more. If we go back to like looking at the movement for um, gay rights, like um uh, and especially the focus on marriage equality of the um, 2000s. Um, like, ethical non-monogamy has long been a part of queer cultures, right? And uh, um, so much of that was suppressed in the public narrative in favor of like monogamous marriage and strategically, like I underst I can understand that choice, you know, because like you're trying to like bring this highly marginalized, highly sexualized identity, um, uh, like from the margins of civic life into the center right uh and 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 into like lots of people's understanding of like what american like civic and family life can look like you know so i i i i i understand the strategic decisions that were made and like we have to understand that like that also 
like has an impact on people who, for whom like regular monogamy is just like not what they're built for, <laughs> not, mm-hmm. not, 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 uh, what, what like makes them happy, you know? And so, um, uh, like now it's time to, to really look at, um, ethical non-monogamy and, um, build some power and bring, bring like that identity, uh, towards the center as well. Yeah. And I think that's that discussion about strategy is an interesting segue because, you know, this is, this is all stuff that we've talked to people about before. We see a lot of people in the non-monogamous community online talking about, you know, oh, I, you know, lack of any legal protections or wanting to normalize this. And some of us have, have gone about that in different ways. I mean, we created this podcast in part as an effort to kind of normalize and humanize (laughs) And yeah. kind of say, hey, this isn't something where we all need to use pseudonyms and hide it like it's some secret totally. dirty thing. It's like, no, this is just a normal thing that people do. And and so we've we see people approaching this in different ways, some of which are are helpful, some of which are maybe not, of just sort of shouting into the void of social media is not always helpful. Sometimes it is though. And then I think the same mm-hmm. thing when it comes to you know, lobbying and trying to get attention on things is that for so many of us, we just feel like I want there to be a change. I have a lot of feelings about wanting there to be a change, but I don't really have the experience or the skills to necessarily know what are the most effective ways to make that change. And so I'm curious if you could talk about that a little bit, uh, kind of however you want to take that question, because you have a lot of experience in organizing campaigns for other sorts of progressive organizations too, and other causes. And I'm just curious, actually being in that world, kind of what have you experienced about what is successful versus not successful? Kind of, I guess to get back to Emily's question a little too, of like, what can we be doing or, or supporting your organization to do, or, you know, however that is to actually make real change. Sure. So I, I would just bring it back to bring the conversation back to um, open and our theory of change. And um, we, we think about things in terms of like theory of change, because uh, like, like that basically defines our, our strategy. Like what is our best guess for how we can get from point A to point B, you know, it's like a little of that, like kind of linear version of logic, but, um, which like, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but, um, it, it really works in like the political world. You can't have like just that, but like, you know, being able to be like, okay, like I have like a, a plan mapped out for linearly, like how we get from point A to point B, I can like constantly test those assumptions. And then if something doesn't work, I can like go back to the drawing board and like make a, make, you know, adjustments. Um, you know, that's, that's like really important to be able to do. And so, um, for open, um, our theory of change involves one, um, building political power in part by, you know, bringing ethically non-monogamous folks into a collective political identity 
and then like expressing that identity in the halls of power, right? Um, second is uh, um, changing the perception of ethical non-monogamy so that people understand a little bit more, like people who don't practice ethical non-monogamy understand like uh, broadly what we're about and that we're human <laughs> and deserve like, you know, housing and family and protection for our families and uh, employment protections and all those things. Um, and then um, the third thing is that we want to build, uh, support building uh, like infrastructure in ethically non-monogamous communities. You know, we want to like help people to like understand like what the options are and to like form like local organizations that, you know, similarly like have capacity to fight for, for, uh, you know, like perception and like build political power locally, you know, like, like we understand that this is not a movement that is going to be won by like having one central organization. Like we need open and we need the polyamory legal advocacy coalition and we need um the woodhull foundation and we need the national coalition on sexual freedom and we need loving more and we need you know um like just all of the many different uh national and regional and local organizations and communities that are doing everything from organizing conferences to organizing like local potlucks, you know, that are helping to build like connection and capacity in uh, polyamorous in in polyamorous and ethically non monogamous communities, right? Um, we need Black and Poly, you know. We need like all of these amazing organizations that are doing incredible work. We need the landscape of sex educators and like relationship educators that are uh, growing capacity. We need like all of these people um, to, to be helping to like build uh, a, a sort of understanding of like, of, of this practice just because it like, it is good for us as people, <laughs> you know, as, as, as you know, like, like, like in the monogamous world, there is so much, support some of it good some of it not uh for you know how uh to be in relationship with other people who are monogamous and and i feel like it is like all to the good for there to be like similar education and learning and support like built in for folks practicing ethical non-monogamy and all of that um also supports building our movement politically Right. Like it's not like, like we can't think of it as an either or. So those are like the three elements of our theory of change, the political, the cultural and the infrastructure. Um, and that's, and so I would say that like, whatever you as an individual are doing to support those things. So if you are like, like being out about being ethically non-monogamous is a political act. 
Um, I'm not saying it is enough. I'm not saying it is all you should do, but being as out as you can with like the uh, closest sort of uh, circles where you can still feel like reasonably safe. Um, and I, I say reasonably safe because like, yes, push it, like experience some challenge, you know, but like, um, um, uh, like you should, like, hopefully you're not going to like lose your job or your housing over your decision to come out. Right. Um, but you know, understand that like, that is part of the risk for, for, uh, some of us, you know? And so we need to figure out like how, like, how can we assess those risks? Um, and how can we, how can we like find support in our decisions to come out? But being out is super important to people understanding our stories. And that way, you know, like I'm out to my family. Um, I have been out to my family for, uh, probably a decade now. Um, and I remember being just so nervous about, about coming out. I, I knew my family loved me. I knew that like, they would not like disown me or anything. Um, and yet like, it was still just like really, really hard to get over the hope over the hump. And then when I, I finally like told my mother, um, that I was in an open relationship, uh, her response was essentially, well, as long as my babies are happy, I'm happy too. And, uh, and, and it was uh, like, not everyone is going to be like, rewarded in that way for taking the risk but um understand that like uh that's also a possibility like it's not just like hate and anger and you know uh separation and you know that kind of thing yeah that's a really good reminder i think to to everyone listening out there something you said reminded me so it is interesting to think about the push for the legalization of gay marriage. And I, I know it's not an exact parallel to this particular fight, but it does feel like it's kind of the closest proxy that we have to think about building that particular momentum. And I'm, <laughs> this is just armchair analysis. This is, I, I have no training or background in this whatsoever. But what stands out to me is thinking about how with the queer rights movement, there has to be this point where people who are not queer care, right? And care enough to be vocal about it and to support the people in their life who are fighting for this and things like that. And that's something that's been, I think, at least for me, sort of also starting to creep into what I want for multi-amory, what I have wanted for a long time, which is sort of being able to create that space where people who have nothing to do with non-monogamy can still care and can still respect it and cannot be just immediately either threatened by it at the worst or at the best, just kind of ambivalent towards what happens to us or how things affect us. But I like, yeah, I am just thinking that it does feel like we have not quite yet reached that tipping point where also all your monogamous friends actually care about non-monogamous rights. Not that that doesn't exist yet, but it does feel like that seems like that's probably part of this as well. Would you agree? Do you have a different take on that? Yeah. I mean, uh, my, my take is that humans aren't just one thing, you know, um, like we're, we're not just good. We're not just bad. Um, one of the great strengths of humanity as a species 
is our ability to empathize, you know, to like listen to someone else's story and see ourselves in it, you know, um, uh, that is like an important aspect of, of, of being who we are, you know, um, and, <laughs> you know, another really important aspect of being human, something that we're, we're sort of fighting against here is, um, our ability to like recognize difference, you know, to, uh, be like, oh, this person isn't like me or, you know, this, I, like, I don't like this thing. And so I will like excise it. I will banish it or whatever. Right. Like, like the thrust of our effort is at like activating the parts of our brains that of people's brains that do empathy really well, you know, mm, yeah. um, that's what y'all are doing on multi-amory. Uh, that's what the folks at normalizing non-monogamy are doing. That's what Dan Savage is doing. That's what we're doing in Bonobo network. You know, there's just like, like we are trying to, um, get people, and it's sort of doing it open, you know, we're, we're trying to get people to hear our stories, to, to witness our lives and to potentially like see a bit of themselves in those stories. Right. Um, that is why this work cannot simply be political. That's why it, it, it has to be cultural. That's why it has to be grounded in people coming out and telling their stories. That's why it has to be grounded in people, um, you know, taking risks with family members and with other parents in the pickup line at school and, um, in your churches, uh, not just the Unitarian ones uh, and, <laughs> and your, and your synagogues and not just your reform ones, and, you know, so on. Right. I, I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's why this work is, is, um, is, is so important. And what y'all are doing is so important. We really appreciate you saying that. And yeah, I think that's in a lot of ways been our mission from the beginning is just putting ourselves out there in a way that makes it feel more normal and um, accepting and, you know, like something that anyone could do or be interested in or want to learn more about. And so I appreciate that that that, that comes through to people out there. I also love the that emphasis on supporting other groups doing the same stuff too it's yeah. not like uh, you know our impact isn't better if we're the only podcast people listen to you know we're like no let's yeah. have people from other podcasts on we want to promote totally. you too we want people listening to all of us you know it's absolutely it's, I, I love that idea of for you as an organization at, at open really focusing on no we want to help foster all these other ones it's not like we're trying to be the monopoly on how to push this forward and, and, you know, the same for whatever you're doing, you know, listener out there at home of, you know, it's that doing that and then also finding ways to make it easier for other people to do that too. Kind of this sense of let's build each other up and not feel like we're in competition with each other or we need to tear each mm -hmm. other down, even if we're doing it a little bit different from how we are. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In, in the Bay Area where I do most of my work um, with Bonobo Network, um, you know, we say all the time that, uh, we're about 
cooperation, not competition. Like mm. the, even even in some place like the Bay Area, where there are lots of you know poly folks and organizations and so on, like there are still like are not so many of us that we can afford to uh, you know take a stance of competition against one another. Like mm. like the ecosystem is stronger uh, when there are many different access points to this world, um, many different takes on similar sets of values and similar practices that maybe appeal just a little bit more, you know, than the way we present it. And that's, that's our approach in this political world as well. I just want to invite our listeners to use your little like rewind 15 seconds button and just listen to that quote just I, like 600 yeah, I, times. I was going <laughs> to say, wouldn't it be nice if our whole world operated in that way that it's all uh-huh. about, you know, collaboration and not competition. That's awesome. Yeah. I think we'd be much better off in many ways. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> hey, folks, we're going to take a quick break from our conversation to talk about this week's sponsors. Our sponsors are really instrumental in helping us to keep this show going. So please take a moment, listen, and help us keep doing what we're doing. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I did want to pivot um, to this open letter that Open recently submitted to Facebook, confronting them on the fact that users aren't able to indicate multiple romantic partners. And the like, is it still a thing that it says, you know, in a relationship or whatever? And so, yeah, you essentially can't do that with multiple people. And can you talk a little bit about the strategy there? And also, I'm interested in the fact that New York Times picked this up and, you know, did a a whole thing on it and how cool that is and how you were able to get that publicity. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh this campaign is a part of the cultural work that we're doing, right? Again, um, if, you know, so something like 20 million people in the U.S., something like 5% of the total population um, have some experience with ethical non-monogamy, right? It's a, a, a huge number, maybe it's 16 million people. Um, I think that might be more more accurate. So, um, but still, that's a really huge number of people. Um, and, and, uh, you know, Facebook already like recognizes them somewhat in having the open relationship option. Yeah. Right? And that's weird that I feel like that's like a legacy option, isn't it? Wasn't it? Other. Hasn't it been around oh, from like, oh, a since very, the beginning? Yeah. So odd. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, and my young self and my friends would like put that on there. Like, I'm in an open relationship with my friend Rebecca or whatever. Oh, would you really? <laughs> yes, that was like the cool thing to do. Oh, funny. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, and so it, we we know that Facebook has the capacity to do this. I mean, people can name, for instance, different family members. You can name your, you know, 15 first cousins and, mm-hmm. you know, like, like you can name all your siblings individually. Like you can like name these relationships via Facebook. Like I can designate that Eugene Winters is my brother, uh, mm. Karen Winters is my sister, uh, or that William Winters is my father, right? Like I can, I can, uh, I can name all of these things. So right. like uh, I, have, it, it just, I have stepdads and multiple stepdads and a dad and mom and stepmoms. Oh, wow. and yeah, like yeah. You can list all those on your profile. Yeah. That's yeah. a good point. I didn't even think about I've, that. Facebook already acknowledges polyamory. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. In a way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, so exactly. I mean, you can name all of these, um, uh, like close family relationships. Um, so it just seems odd. Like, uh, Facebook isn't living up to its own purported mission of creating a more connected world. Um, when we who practice ethical non-monogamy are not able to name the partnerships and loverships and other you know sort of like relational titles and roles that make up our family constellations right and so um and so we're just calling on facebook to uh you know live up to its own creed Hmm. um and um you know I, i don't think it's like particularly controversial um, but the impact of being able to like, once again, like allow people to, to be out about who they're connected with, um, and not just leave it to the imagination or have people like assume that it's a joke as you, as you, mm-hmm. uh, said mm-hmm. you were doing earlier in your youth, um, like that, that really matters. It makes it real, you know, it makes it, it makes it more real for my family when they get to like actually meet or see the other people I'm partnered with, you know, um, uh, that, that concretization is, is, is big. Especially when it's billions of people that use Facebook on a daily basis, that that's an, an option, a potential option. That's huge publicity, I think. And also huge, um, uh, I guess this sphere, like you can see that actually in writing on there. That's really cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we think that this is going to be a really important campaign area more generally, like not just Facebook, but like, what are the other opportunities to advance the cultural narrative um, about ethical non-monogamy to uh, create like more acceptance through non-governmental means? You know, so um, in changing the political landscape, um, you know, we're going to want to see like I I think that politicians and uh, the courts, if it gets down to the courts, although, uh, as we've seen, relying on the courts for big policy change is like not necessarily the best option. (laughs) Um, But um, womp womp. Uh, So um, but but yeah, I mean, so so um, 
uh, like policymakers are going to want to see that like there is already movement towards acceptance. Like like most legislators don't want to be at the vanguard of something. Yeah, they want to they follow. Be, they they want to follow leaders. exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, they are yeah. they are uh, very cautious, and that requires that. I mean, you know, like like a sort of liberatory, uh, uh, a, a liberatory approach to democracy demands that we, as the governed, are leading. You know, I mean, that's that's always the way it's been. And so, um, and so we have to create the conditions that demonstrate that there is already significant movement. So that means that we're going to have to ask major corporations to have non-discrimination policies against, you know, ethical non-monogamy. And we're going to have to, you know, have corporations provide benefits to like um multiple partners and that kind of thing right like 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 the the groundwork has to be laid through other means in order to like achieve the ultimate political ends that we want and so um and so we, we think that like this campaign against facebook is just like the first step uh in a much bigger strategy to um create um a landscape of acceptance in American life and, and at points that are like much more susceptible to um, that kind of, this kind of like public pressure, you know, it's much easier to uh, change like a corporation's HR policy uh, or to like pass an ordinance at the local level, uh, particularly in like more progressive cities uh, than it is to pass a bill through the California state legislature or through Congress. Right. And okay. so we're, 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 yeah, yeah, clear. Yeah. I mean, can't pass much through Congress these days. Apparently not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And so, and so, um, and so, yeah, so, so that is, um, um, a, a broad look at the strategy and where the role of, of campaigns like this Facebook campaign fit in i think that's well, a great I'm, example too of of how they're all connected like that how this kind of visibility and normalizing of something and then getting change at these small levels then trickles up to the larger levels and how, yes. how it's all kind of connected to each other i also just just as a quick side note as as someone who works in the it space uh the fact that you also kind of identified look, Facebook already has this mechanism in place mm. in other areas, so it should be relatively easy. And nothing's ever as easy in software as people think it should be, but it's relatively <laughs> easy for them to be able to pull that off. And this is just something that I'm seeing come up more and more in conversations about like how we structure the backend database for our you know, medical information system can be a really hard thing to change. And so if we've set it up in one way, we can end up kind of locked into it. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, when it comes to like things like gender, for example, or, you know, sexual preference or something like that, you know, sexuality, that if your database was built a certain way, that can actually be incredibly hard to ever change that just logistically, even if you want to. And so I, I think mm -hmm. that's also worth keeping in mind that as you get 
some of these companies that do have the resources or things in place already to do that, that others in building their systems might follow suit and go, you know what, just in case we should probably build that in to our system Mm. as well. That's great. So I think it just makes sense kind of all around. And that's, that's really cool. So as we're getting close to the end of this episode, could we take a quick moment for you to tell us a little bit about the Bonobo Network that you started, that you run? What 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 is it? <laughs> what are you doing with that? Yeah, sure. Um, so Bonobo Network is a private membership organization that creates community for those of us who recognize that monogamy isn't always the best option for everyone. And that pleasure comes in many different packages where... Um, in many ways, uh, like you can think of us, think of us as a social club. I really like to think of us as a community. Um, we do lots of different kinds of events to do that kind of capacity building and education and just creating like tightly woven social networks, um, that we talked about as being one, the, the third peg of, um, opens theory of change right so we throw parties and we facilitate workshops we host retreats we organize potlucks and happy hours and discussion groups and a book club we do online mixers we do uh we have like an interview series um and and so much more but you know in short we we bring people with sex positive values and often non-monogamous leanings together to find real support and learning and connection with others who share values around consent and empathy and accountability and inclusion and interdependence, you know? So, um, uh, that is like the sort of snapshot of Bonobo Network and, and what we do. Um, I, yeah, I'm the founder, um, like the, the entity that became, Bonobo Network began with like my 31st birthday party in uh, 2010. And, Wait, sorry. Uh, just when you're saying like the entity, I'm thinking of some kind of like spirit realm uh, or some kind of summoned <laughs> elder god or something. Like, it's creating some I, I just, I just, I just mean head. LLC. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. The legal entity. Yeah. The, the, legal, the legal entity, not the spiritual gotcha. entity. <laughs> <laughs> we're, not, we're not that kind of organization. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so the, the entity that became Bonobo Network uh, got it start with like my 31st birthday party in 2010. Uh, it was just like a small gathering of friends in my two bedroom apartment and uh, has since grown to, you know, uh, thousands of participants across Ooh. the Bay Area and around the world. Um, we have something like 1500 active paying members now um, wow. and and uh, growing. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And also, could you talk briefly about Express Yourself as well? Oh, yeah. So Express Yourself, uh, sort of uh, an extension of the work that I was doing in Bonobo. I think I had like my first conversation with friends about throwing a POC play party in like 2011 or something like that. I think it was November 2011 uh, when that conversation first sort of emerged um and then in 20 
17. I partnered with, partnered with an amazing person and we actually brought that vision into reality. We created a POC um, play party uh, in Oakland and it was, uh, it was incredible. Uh, it was just like such a positive, affirming uh, experience. Um, and we did it again with a larger team um, the next year. And we've since been doing these events quarterly, pandemic notwithstanding, um, uh, in Oakland. And, you know, that event, uh, like, like Express Yourself, uh, came at a time when there was a lot of really cool stuff happening in the PSE uh, organizing landscape, like sex positive organizing landscape in the Bay Area. So um, now there's, you know, uh, Express Yourself as a regular event. There's Soul, which is um, Mission Control's version of a POC party. There is, um, you know, um, Black Kink Bay Area. There's uh, Kinky, Colorful, and Conscious, which is like a discussion series. There's uh, Four Folks of Color. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just like a lot of um, like capacity uh, in the Bay Area POC sex positive community, which is just like, which is just really important because I think that sometimes, um, these spaces, uh, and like the, the practice of like ethical non monogamy and like the sort of practice of like sex positive, uh, values and, and culture can look really white and look really like exclusive and hard to approach for folks of color and so creating these spaces um where we can like come together and um i guess your viewers can't see me i'm a black man um and um uh yeah where where you know we can like build that capacity with one another uh has just been a magical experience that is um good for like the folks of color in in this community uh, and is also like good for the community at large. Um, yeah, so really happy to be to be doing that work and definitely looking forward to the next Express Yourself event in um, early August. Nice. Yeah. Well, this has been a really excellent conversation, William. We really appreciate having you on the show and I hope that we can continue you know, hearing about what is going on with Open and helping in any way that we can. And also for our listeners, where can we find more of you and your work? And then also where can people follow Open? Yeah, for sure. So um, like I said, most of my day-to-day work is with Bonobo Network. And so you can find us at bonobonetwork.com. Um, if you like what you see, if our uh, values and vibes sort of align with what you're looking for in a community, you can click the apply button and uh, complete our membership application and and uh, join us. Um, uh, you can also find Bonobo Network on uh, Facebook and Instagram and uh, even Twitter, though we don't say very much there. Uh, <laughs> you can uh, also find me at open. That's open-love.org. That's open-love.org. Um, and uh, you can find 
out about open. You can join our email list. Um, you can donate. That's another really important piece of the puzzle. Um, organizations, as it turns out, need capital to survive. Um, uh, you know, we have an amazing executive director, an amazing political director, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, political staff deserve salaries that they can like live on <laughs> as it turns out. So, uh, you can, you can, uh, join our email list. You can, uh, donate, you can plug into the various efforts that I've mentioned, um, on this program there. Excellent. Thank you. And yeah, listeners definitely go check out all of those resources and you can find out even more about how to support this mission. And for those of you that are following us on Instagram, on our Instagram stories this week, we're going to be asking you, what sort of political and cultural change do you want to see regarding consensual non-monogamy? And be specific. Don't just say, oh, I want things to change and be better. We really want to hear your specific thoughts, your specific ideas, your specific visions of a more accepting future and what that looks like to you. Also, the best place to share your thoughts about this episode with other listeners is in our episode discussion channel in our Discord server. You can also post about it in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and you can join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanetta. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.